And I'm not going to let any Easter egg disrespect me. Cactus Jack, did you ever look at his face? Oh, what a face he's got. If I had a face like him, I'd have it circumcised. <laughs> the question is, what are you going to do to defend the title? Whatever it takes. I guarantee you that. Ah, New York, New York. The city's so grand they had to name it twice. <laughs> What's the franchise doing in the Big Apple? <laughs> Call the hotline tonight and find out. <laughs> bam, bam. Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to March of 1995 for Volume 2 of this month's show. Volume 1, which we just finished recording, covers the WCW, including WCW Uncensored. Uh, this half of the show, uh, we're going to be discussing the WWF, previewing WrestleMania, and then after the break we're going to be doing, uh, myself and Dale will go take you through all the ECW action for this month. I'm being joined by Stuart Brooks. Stuart, hello. Hello, Bob. And Wayne Lithgow. Hello, Bob. Uh, Wayne, kicks off with the news. The build for WrestleMania 11 is now all but over as the company prepares for the biggest show of the year on April the 2nd. The two headline matches are Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor and Diesel versus Shawn Michaels for the WWF title. Elsewhere on the card, Bret Hart will face Bob Backlund in an I Quit match and Razor Ramon faces Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental title. One of the biggest selling points is the involvement of a whole raft of celebrities, including Pamela Anderson and a series of NFL footballers. The company earned a great deal of publicity at the WrestleMania press conference at the beginning of the month. Dave Meltzer said it probably generated more mainstream publicity than any WrestleMania since the second one. The attention all surrounded the involvement of Lawrence Taylor, who called Bam Bam Bigelow an Easter egg at one point before kissing him on the cheek during a stare down. The WWF have followed WCW in the pay-per-view stakes, adding four further pay-per-views to the schedule from May. The shows will be priced more cheaply than WWF current pay-per-views, being sold at under $15, compared to 25 for the main shows and 30 for WrestleMania. In other news, the WWF have been in contact with current ECW performer Chris Benoit. There have been talks of even him appearing him at uh, WrestleMania, but it seems like this is a non-runner for now. In a bad month for former members of Demolition, Brian Adams, a.k.a. Crush, was arrested this week and fired by the WWF. Adams was arrested in Hawaii on drug and illegal handgun charges. It's reported that the search was started after a package of steroids were found in Adams' name. Subsequently, a search of his home found him in possession of several unregistered firearms and other drugs. Adams had all but disappeared from the company since the middle of last year, but did appear at this year's Royal Rumble, making the final four. We start the WWF review on the WWF Superstars on the 4th of March. Shawn Michaels gives 10 reasons why he will defeat Diesel at WrestleMania, culminating in his number one reason, his bodyguard, Sid. On to March 6th and Monday Night Raw, Shawn Michaels defeats the British Bulldog in a 15-minute opener with a clean victory after a superkick. We cut to footage on the WrestleMania press conference from the previous Tuesday. Diesel says he's living the American dream, while Shawn Michaels guarantees the fans the show 
like they've never seen before. Bam Bam Bigelow said there's no NFL player in the world that can stand in his world. He called Lawrence Taylor a flash in the pan. Taylor says he's made people who are bigger and better than Bam Bam retire. He then calls Bam Bam an Easter egg, which gets a pop from the journalists in attendance. As they squared off face to face, Lawrence Taylor leant in and kissed Bam Bam Bigelow on the cheek. Saturday, March 11th, brings us to Dodo Superstars. Razor Ramon defeats Mantor by a countout. After the match, Razor requires Jeff Jarrett's WWF Intercontinental title belt, which was brought to ringside by the roadie. Razor gets a clean hit in on Jarrett, but roadie grabs the belt and a pair scarper. Quebec Pierre re-debuted wearing an eye patch, sat on a throne with a different story to tell. He says the year was 1815 in the swamps of New Orleans. His great-great-grandfather was a legendary pirate. He said he gave it his all, but all he got in return was insults. He comes to us as the great last living relative of Jean Lafitte. His new name, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. He will begin his revenge with the WWF. Another police department WrestleMania commercial, this time it's Bob Backman doing the interrogating. He says he's here to confront the judicial system after Dodo's title belt was taken from him. The camera turns around and it turns out Backlund is interrogating an empty chair. The Supreme Fighting Machine Karma is now part of the Million Dollar Stable, having been bought by Ted DiBiase. He was a heavy at ringside during the Bam Bam Bigelow vs. Bob Holly main event. Bam Bam wins cleanly, reversing something that resembled an atomic drop into a bulldog. On the March 13th Monday Night Raw, we open with the Headshrunkers and the Blues Brothers going to a double countout. NFL player Steve McMichael cuts a promo. He says he's heard what Karma has had to say about him and will be on Raw next week to confront him. McMichael will be in Lawrence Taylor's corner at WrestleMania. Vince McMahon interviews Ernie Ladd. Ernie Ladd played NFL in the 1960s before transitioning to pro wrestling. Ladd says that it took a lot of time for him to make the jump from NFL to wrestler and that Taylor is running on emotions. On the WrestleMania report, Todd Pettengill told people when calling the cable company they should explicitly ask for WrestleMania, presumably to attempt to stop people incorrectly ordering WCW uncensored. He also showed us footage from Action Zone which showed the heel turn of Men on the Mission against the Smoking Guns. Jerry Lawler comes out for a match with Bret Hart. Lawler has Paul Meccano in his corner. Bob Backlund is sat in the crowd and Hakushi and his manager appear on the ramp. Jim Cornette on commentary interprets this as a show of unity with the Japanese people against Hart. Paul Meccano at one point gets involved agitating Hart before accidentally striking Lawler. Hart tries to get back into the ring, but Paul Meccano grabs onto his leg and Hart is counted out. Having beaten him early in the evening, Jeff Jarrett agrees to grant Barry Horowitz an intercontinental title match before WrestleMania. As Horowitz goes to sign the contract, Bob Backman shoves him over before signing the contract himself. Apparently, this is legally binding and Backman will face Jarrett. March 18th, when WFWF Superstars, Vince McMahon interviews Diesel in the production truck. Diesel says the acquisition of Sid is a feather in Sean's cap. Diesel says Sean is an athlete, stands alone. He says Sid's the closest thing to him, the company. 
During a match between Lex Luger and King Kong Bundy, Paul Bearer comes out to ringside, seemingly to claim back the urn off of Ted DiBiase. Tatanka runs out and forces the DQ, and DiBiase scares off Bearer. British Bulldog runs off the heel team. On to March 20th, Monday Night Raw. We open with Razor Ramon versus Henry Godwin. The roadie comes out, but the 1-2-3 kid has Razor's back, hitting roadie with a swing kick. Off the distraction, Razor hits the Razor's edge for the victory. We get taken back to Action Zone, where Bam Bam Bigelow did an NFL-style shoulder charge on Doink the Clown. That was a message to Lawrence Taylor. Steve McMichael comes out to do commentary on a Bundy squash match. Karma confronts him and says at WrestleMania, he will beat him like the dog he is. McMichael pushes Karma. Karma throws coffee over him and the two start brawling. They have to be pulled apart in what was a very effective segment. An apology from Oscar from Men on the Mission is shown prior to the WWF tag title match between the Smoking Guns and the Heavenly Bodies. After some shenanigans involving an incompetent referee, Billy bridged out of a pin attempt by Jimmy Del Rey into a backslide for a three count. After a completely uneventful WWF Superstars, we move on to Monday Night Raw on the 27th of March, the final Raw before WrestleMania, which was a build-up show that started with a video package showcasing the Shawn Michaels-Diesel feud. Vince McMahon said many people saw Diesel as the underdog going into the match. In the build-up to Bam Bam Lawrence Taylor, they interviewed members of Lawrence Taylor's all-pro team about their potential role in the match, and recapped the Karma Steve McMichael match. The one match that aired on Raw was Bret Hart vs Owen Hart in a no-holds-barred match. The match briefly threatened to go out backstage, but the gorilla position was the limit for the match. As you'd expect from these two, this was a very good television match. Owen ran Brett's chest into an exposed turnbuckle, but Brett would win after slingshotting Owen into the turnbuckle before applying the sharpshooter for the win. Brett refused to release the hold until a good 20 seconds after the match. World Wrestling Federation and the new generation, then Big Daddy Cool. I got a phone call from Shawn Michaels. Said he was looking for a bodyguard. It was about two years ago. At that point, things started to click for me. And in April of last year, I became the World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion. From there, Sean and I won the World Tag Belts. And in November, in Madison Square Garden, I became the Federation Champion. So, what more can I say? I mean, I'm living the American dream. Things do happen still. If you work hard and persevere, things happen. And... I'm the happiest man on earth right now. Now, Shawn Michaels, the model of modesty, responded in the following fashion. What I do is go out there, thrill people, excite people beyond belief. And WrestleMania 11 will be no exception. Big Daddy Cool, I suggest you fill both gas tanks and be ready to throw it into overdrive because the heartbreak kid is hot on fire and ready to go. And fans, I guarantee you beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. So there you have it, folks. Big Daddy Cool will defend his title at WrestleMania 11 against Shawn Michaels. Now, as you saw earlier on tonight, Sid could play a big part in this matchup. 
can't wait. It's going to be great. Now, also in attendance at the press conference, Bam Bam Bigelow, who, as usual, took advantage of an opportunity. There is no NFL football player in the world today that could step into my world. My world. That's the wrestling ring. Not on a football field. Not with a bunch of other players. you got 11 guys on the field. It's one-on-one. It's eye-to-eye. It's nose-to-nose. It's fist-to-fist. This is my world, Lawrence Taylor. This is my ring. I'm in the WWF. You're just a flash in the pan. Now, there is no question this was one of the most crowded press conferences ever. The reason? New York, New York Giants, Lawrence Taylor. Everybody wanted to know what LT would have to say to the speculation that he would accept Bam Bam's challenge. But, you know, as far as Bam Bam goes, I I tell you the truth, you know, he's a big guy. He's a, a gifted athlete. I've seen him wrestle a lot, but I've made a lot bigger and a lot better than him retire from football so I think I can probably do a little something in the ring with him and I'm not going to let any Easter egg <laughs> disrespect me I mean uh, I am a, I'm a man and I do believe in uh, having a good time I do believe in uh, uh, showing respect to people and I think what he did uh, that, that wrestling match in Tampa was uncalled for it's the only reason why I'm going into the ring and I'll let the uh, chips fall where they may. See, I'm going out there like a bunch of crazed dogs, and I'm going to have me some fun come WrestleMania. We'll start. No, no, nothing really to review this month. Uh, WrestleMania is uh, about th- three or four days ahead of us, uh, so we'll cover that in April. Um, but we are just going to discuss a, a few things. Firstly, the, the, the hype really for WrestleMania, and this will snowball into the discussion about the press conference that we'll come on to in a minute. Um Stuart, what do you think of the, the, the top of this card? It's probably, in terms of hype, a little bit better than you would have expected, considering the main event is based around a non-wrestler. Like Meltzer has said, the, the actual press coverage that presumably they've been coveting to get, that they, they've got buttons. And, and by all standards, Bigelow's been pretty good in his role, and Lawrence Taylor's not been terrible in his. Why? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I totally agree. I think Lawrence Taylor's uh, not done bad of a job in actually selling this uh, selling this main event, and, and uh, with the main focus being on them, um, I mean, with the amount of mainstream coverage that Lawrence Taylor's going to get you, um, rightly so that the that the main focus is on them, so they can get as as much eyes on the product uh, or this pay per view as uh, as possible. Um, and I've got to say, hats off to the WWF on on the call as well. The amount of uh, media coverage it's actually got, I think it's. Uh, um, I think it's got a lot more than, than previous WrestleMania has put together. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to the rest of the card in a minute, but jumping forward to to, to the press conference, I mean, sure, they, they have the bit with um, Sean and with Diesel, which I kind of thought was a bit awkward. I don't think Sean Michaels looks good in the suit at all, actually. I don't think it fits him in any way. Nor does Sid, actually, or Diesel, so they're, they're three for three on that. Or Bam Bam, no, none of them look good in suits. Um, but in, in terms of the press conference, like the, 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 from the bits we saw on Raw, the mood changed when Lawrence Taylor walked in and things all of a sudden got very interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's the sort of thing that reminds you of almost a boxing type build, really. It, it wasn't very WWF in its execution, I would say. No, um, in terms of, 
You know, and it, uh, yeah, well, we'll come on to the rest of it in a minute, but I thought in terms of Bam Bam did what he did very well, and he, he said the lines he needed to say, and, and Bam Bam's promos, I, I think, have been very good throughout this feud. Um, and then Lawrence Taylor came out, uh, the bit calling him an Easter egg, like the room, the room audibly popped when that happened. There was, there was a gasp at that moment. They, they went with that line. Um, it's a good line. It's definitely a good line. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not just, it, it wasn't an insult. It was a line that made sense. And you look at him and you go, yeah, but Bigelow does look like a bit of an Easter egg. So it wasn't, it wasn't all that either. Um, and then the bit with the stare down and him kissing you on the tree, going, that was, that was it in the sense that, all, all they were looking, cause, you know, you could almost got away with Sean and Diesel not being there. I think it, from, from WS perspective, it was important, one, to establish that these two matches were on the same level, but also because the reason Lawrence Taylor is in is to shine a light onto what else is on the thing. But in terms of what the press were there for, they were there for Lawrence Taylor. They probably weren't even there for Bam Bam or for anyone else. It was, you're a famous former football player. What have you got to say? And, and Lawrence Taylor gave them two big home run moments, Wayne, and that's all you can ask oh yeah definitely um, uh, um the the press conference as a, as a whole um did what it um did what it did really well um it gave wrestlemania um a bigger feel than than in previous years um like you said lawrence taylor did uh, did really well um putting the suits to one side um i think sean michaels did uh, um did very well on on you know on, on the promo on his side of things but the, the Diesel promo just I didn't didn't feel it from him you know he's, he's, it's like one of the biggest matches of his career so far and uh, he you know he just wasn't selling that role really well yeah Stuart I mean we've we, we've spoken a lot about Diesel I'm sure we will as his title reign goes on um, but the concern was early on they're trying to turn him into Hulk Hogan having watched his run so far and having We'll, we'll listen to this promo. I, I haven't sent you guys to watch. There was a promo on Superstars where he was in the a WWF production truck with Vincent Mann, and he was sat there like, almost in his pajamas, almost like these like tartan trousers. WrestleMania, two weeks away, April the second, Sunday night, and it's you, obviously preparing to defend the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Shawn Michaels, perhaps like you have never prepared before watching these game films. You know, I mean, I, I am in the in the edit studio here at Titan at Titan Sports, but you're wrong. You see, I've beg your pardon. You'll see, I've got my radar here. I'm in direct contact with Kennedy Airport, and what I'm actually doing to hold on a second. Yeah, flight 43, Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to be in a holding pattern. We got a 619er coming in westbound Continental. How are you on the macadamia nuts? <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Busy man. I didn't mean to interrupt you uh, landing the planes at Kennedy, but on a more serious note now, back obviously watching the game films of Shawn Michaels. Let's take you back, if we may. Let's take you back to Monday Night Raw. On the very night you're defending the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Double J, Shawn Michaels introduces his new bodyguard. How'd you feel? Psycho Sid. How did I feel? I was shocked. Uh, I can't say amazed because... You know, you can expect the unexpected with Shawn Michaels. Just when you think you have all the answers, Shawn goes out and changes the questions. And, uh, you know, feather in Shawn's cap. He's done it again. Indeed. And we'll get back to Psycho said, as you made reference to, a little bit later. Let's talk about Shawn Michaels, the athlete. Is there anyone in the World Wrestling Federation that has any greater dexterity, any greater quickness, any greater agility 
than Shawn Michaels. I think, you know, that Bret Hart, as far as a technician, a technical wrestler, I think Bret can match anyone. As, as far as pure athleticism, quickness, leaping ability, all the intangibles, I think Shawn's, you know, he's unparalleled. There's some, everybody's good in this, in the, in the World Wrestling Federation, but uh, I think Shawn stands alone. Shawn Michaels, as, as we're sitting here with the British Bulldog, and take a look at this. Oof. Now, caught in midair. That is a dimension that Sid brings, Psycho Sid, call it what you will, brings to, to the match that, that no one else could do. I mean, you have to worry about, yes, the athleticism of Shawn Michaels. Right. And you also have to worry about what's on the outside, the intimidating factor. Is Sid intimidating to you? As an anthropology student, it's always amazing to see that the Peking man is actually still alive. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, in all honesty, he's, he's an impressive, impressive man. I, geez, he's, he's, he's the closest thing physically in, in, in the World Wrestling Federation, I think, to me, that, that, that it can be. He actually looks a little bigger, doesn't he? Uh, I, I don't know about that. Um, nonetheless, WrestleMania, the entire sports entertainment world will focus on your match with Shawn Michaels. I think it's safe to say that Michaels and his new bodyguard, Sid, would stoop to depths the likes of which maybe you have not even uh, thought of. Without a doubt. He's not there for any other reason than to make sure that I don't walk out of there with my belt. Plain and simple. WrestleMania 11, Shawn Michaels, it's, it's an all-out assault against Big Daddy. I, you know, the guy's got a problem. I, I, I want to see if he can, you know, control this ego. This, this egomaniac can control this psycho over here. This is going to be a... A, a nice little sidebar to the action as far as I'm concerned because I don't know the question is what are you going to do to defend the title whatever it takes I guarantee you that I mean they, they want to come in and have a war I'll go tell you I can take a pounding I think I showed in, in, in the Royal Rumble that I can take a beating like anybody else can I can certainly dish him out and uh, he's been running his mouth he wants some of me hey fine the old jut jaw over there wants a little piece, too. Yeah, you can have some also. Well, best of luck to you in several weeks. They're not turning into Hulk Hogan at all. They're, they're humanizing him, I think, to a point that's very detrimental. Oh, it takes away the mystique of the character, absolutely. If, if anyone stopped and thought what actually got the Diesel character over, it was being a badass at the Royal Rumble last year, and they have completely lost all semblance of that in humanizing the character. Yeah, in an attempt to make him the mainstream guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't think Diesel's doing a bad job of what he's being given to do in terms of you know that they, they want him as a guy that can do the Hogan stuff and be on be on TV and do press interviews and things like that all well and fine. But have that persona for the press stuff and maybe for stuff like this. This I don't mind so much. It's more of a catalyst for. Um, other discussion but I think when he's on TV when he's on Raw he shouldn't be in this Mr. Nice Guy mode because it, it's not Big Daddy cool and if it's not Big Daddy cool he's just a 6 foot 10 nice guy and it's like well that's not going to make much money um, I, I, I don't know but Stuart, are we in a position, I mean, I, I, I believe the main event is going to be Lawrence Taylor, Bam Bam Bigelow on the basis that they don't want the press people to piss off after that match if they've got a main event on last then they might um but uh, this easily is going to be what the worst wrestlemania main event ever is that is that the perception or is it more just a case of it doesn't really matter it, it, it doesn't really matter the quality of the match does it it's, it's all about the spectacle i'm confident enough that 
Bam Bam Bigelow is good enough to pull a bit of smoke and mirrors to make it passable. I mean, will it be a worse main event than Hogan Yokozuna two years ago? Well, true. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, but yeah, and equally, as you say, there's going to be about 15 people at ringside, so I'm sure they can, they can cover their tracks in that regard. Um, but Wayne, what, what do you think of the, the Sean and Diesel match? It, while it's logical, has, has the build been great? Has it been good? How, how do you perceive that? I, I don't think the build has been all that great, in all honesty. Um, just not, just not feeling. I think the more of the focus has been on, on the other main event, and I think that has probably tarnished this match a, a little bit too much. Yeah, it's kind of like what's really strange, uh, and what my my big critique of this this build up to Sean and Diesel is that they've hardly faced off at all. In fact, I'm not even sure they have since uh, since the Rumble in terms of being in the same space at the same time for either a brawl or an in ring promo or anything like that. Um, and and that's really the, the the biggest problem with it is that we've got this feud for guys who were together for 18 months. And yet the feud seems like any other, and it seems to be 80% of it about Sid Vicious. They, shoot, they don't seem to have done anything special with this feud or used anything that they could have used from the past 18 months that these two came together to form a storyline more than, oh, it's Sean on Diesel. Yeah, I could completely agree. They have 18 months worth of footage and they could, they could expound upon that in terms of portraying them as best friends, you know, for years if they wanted to do that. But it, like you say, it just seems to have been, Kind of pretty average. Still, what do you think about this? The, the press conference from the Sean Diesel point of view. I, I didn't. I didn't get it. Um, I, I, I thought, you know, Sid Vicious in a <clears throat> in a suit was a mistake. Um, I thought all of them in a suit was a mistake. I mean, I get it to a point. They want to look presentable in front of a press conference. But you've got Shawn Michaels trying to cut a wrestling promo, but equally trying to cut something that makes sense in a press conference type could type environment. And I don't think he hit either one. Like, do one. Or the other, like I thought he straddled the line the way it didn't make much sense. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, I think the press, I understand why they put them on that platform, but I think it was a negative ultimately. What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, it, it was pretty unremarkable, but I don't think it was designed to be standout. Like you say, the emphasis was really on the Taylor Bam Bam Bigelow stuff, so Michael's Diesel was pretty much an afterthought, and yeah, Sid in a suit didn't work when he was part of the Four Horsemen, so yeah, I don't know why anyone would think it would work now. No, no, certainly not. Uh, Wayne, what, what do you think of the rest of this WrestleMania card? We've, we, we've got, um, I think, Backland and Bret Hart in the I Quit match is probably match number three. And then we kind of go down the card and we've got the Intercontinental title match with Razor and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, we've got the tag team match, Owen Hart and a mystery partner uh, going for uh, the tag titles. I think we've got uh, Bulldog and Lex Luger in tag team match as well. H- how is this WrestleMania card looking for you? Um... The Brett and Bob Backlund side of things, as long as we don't have to see Brett out in a chicken wing for close to 20 minutes, then uh, I think that match might be uh, might, might work a little. Um, but uh, the rest, I mean, Ramon and uh, Jarrah, I'm uh, obviously keen on that one. Um, they can always uh, go together really well. Um, I'm intrigued to see who the uh, who the mystery partner is so obviously a lot of focus on uh, on that match um for, for that reason um obviously with uh, um, with the ongoing possible discussions with with Benoit if you know if he's coming in as uh, as Owen Hart's partner then uh, then obviously that could uh, could work really well yeah if they, i don't think they're going to get Benoit but if they do then i think we can hold the tapes on that so where are you at with WrestleMania 
Yeah, mild excitement. And, and that's probably more to do with seeing what actually happens with Taylor and Bam Bam Bigelow. Just what, what do they do with it? What level of competence will Taylor have accrued over the, the weeks he's been training? And, and, and how will it be portrayed? Everything else, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bret Hart and Bob Backlund. So they should be able to assemble something pretty good. But other than that, they, 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 there's not much interest. No, I mean, I I kind of feel like they've done all they could with the resources they had available. In terms of, I don't, I don't know. I could sit here and go, there are five guys who are in the wrong match, or there are guys they could even have bought in, say, that could have made this card any better. I think they they've done about all they can. Um, in in terms of they bought in Lawrence Taylor because this this card without Lawrence Taylor, Stuart, this could have been death. Not not in terms of a wrestling show, but in terms of a business performance for a WrestleMania level show, this could have been the end of the world. I, I mean, yeah, if you compare it to the card for you know WrestleMania ten, I'd say on paper the card for that certainly looks a lot stronger, and and the roster just seems to have dwindled over the last year. I don't know if that's a lack of new exciting characters, but then you've got some there ready to go, like someone like a Hakushi, who is an interesting performer, who could definitely give you an opening sort of five-minute WrestleMania match that would be worth watching. It isn't featured anywhere on the card. Yeah, and, and equally, well, what we know about Crush, obviously, but other than him and Savage, I think most of the tools that were in around for uh for WrestleMania 10, uh, 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 here now. I mean, we haven't spoken about Undertaker and Bundy, which is another match that we should probably mention in a minute. Um, but in terms of the roster, it's, it might have dwindled, but I think at the top of the card, it's largely the same. Um, and, and yet, yeah, I don't think they've done a bad job. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of, of Undertaker and Bundy? Is this just going to be another slow, giant match that isn't particularly any good? Yeah. Stuart? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Three for three on that. I, 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 that could be that could be awful. Um, but yeah, the, what, the, 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 I, I'm told Undertaker is quite, quite a good wrestler. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but if they keep putting in with guys who are the same height and who are far inferior workers, then we're just going to end up in this endless cycle. Um, so we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, we will move on to discuss uh, the segment on Raw. I think it was the third week on Raw. We, we will have covered it in the TV review. Uh, Karma, the, the ultimate fighting machine, uh, and, and Steve McMichael. Uh, Wayne, what do you think of this segment? Um, I didn't mind it, in all honesty. Uh, I, th- I think Karma did really well in you know in trying to be serious. I think the only thing that... Um, let, let it down was um, Michael doing the usual celebrity thing where you've got the wrestler who's uh, who's trying to be serious and and threatening and then you've just got the celebrity who's you know smiling and laughing as as the other guy's talking um, but as soon as they obviously they've got the brawl on um, I'd I'm, I think I'd be keen to actually see a bit more of uh, um, of Steve McMichael yeah well we, we or at least hear more of him anyway yeah, we we may well get more of him at WrestleMania. I guess that was the entire hook of the segment, Stuart. It, it almost makes you wonder if they're not going to add that to the card as well. It would be the worst idea. I mean, I don't know whether Steve McMichael can go in that way. Um, but no, I, I I thought the segment was very effective. And yeah, maybe as a as a last minute addition. Well, I guess maybe we've got the, the the thing last year where they they had to take off a match. So I don't know whether they're going to be in a position to add a, a match to the card at this late stage. And certainly. If they were going to add it, I think they'd have added it by now because they would have wanted to publicise it. Um, but yeah, sure. What do you think of the segment? 
yeah, yeah, it was pretty good. Like I say, I'd, I'd agree with the fact that Steve McMichael actually shows that kind of sort of wrestling charisma. I'm not completely sold on karma, but I guess that's why, you know, he, he's packaged in with the Million Dollar Corporation because he's, he's not going to stand out well enough on his own. But for what it was, I thought it was OK. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I thought it was one of the stronger Raw segments in a while. I mean, that doesn't say a ton, not the rules no. bad, but it's, it, it's rarely angle driven like, um, like this kind of thing. But I thought it was effective and, and, and no doubt this would have drawn a bit of uh, mainstream publicity as well. So, so certainly not a bad thing in that regard. Um, we've got two more things to discuss. Uh, we will start with, uh, well, this promo from Jean-Pierre Lafitte. You will remember him as, uh, Quebec Pierre. Many of you will remember me as Pierre de Quebecer. Why not? I am an extraordinary gifted wrestler. Tout le monde le But today, I come to you with a different story to tell. The year was 1815. The place was warmth and the use of New Orleans. My great-great-grandfather was a legendary pirate. Repeat. He gladly gave his ships, his men, his cannons and his gold to defend America and the free world from hostile enemies. And what did he get in return? Insult, humiliation. to rule the seven seas like a trench rat. So, I come to you today. The last living relative of the great John My true name, Jean-Pierre Lafitte. Soon, I will begin my revenge with the World Wrestling Federation. And when every sniveling superstars lies wallowing in their own tears of defeat, I will write my book on the entire universe. Beware the revenge of Jean-Pierre Lafitte! Stuart, this was different. Yeah, that was exactly the word I was about to use. It's definitely, definitely different. I was a really big fan of him in the Quebecers last year in that I felt Jacques Rougeau was winding down to the end of his career, whereas Carl Ouellette was winding up. So it, it was interesting that they were paired in the first place. So I'm interested to see where this could go. 
But it it is a bit of a weird gimmick. The 180 year old pirate, or, or representing the 180 year old pirate, it's 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 a left turn. It, I don't think it's the weirdest gimmick they've ever done, though. No. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they may drop the aspect of representing Jean Lafitte himself at some point, but yeah, it's 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 a cool look. I'll give it that as well. Why? Yeah, I don't think they really needed to uh, reference the uh, Quebecers' background. Um, you know, from being a Quebecer to now being a pirate is. You know, it just just makes it seem stupid. And you know, if the fact that they just left that Quebec side of things and and add him as um, obviously not as a uh, representing you know pirate character, but have him as uh, obviously he, he does come across as as a bit of a badass. Um, you know, I think would uh, would, would work. But we are in in an era of the WWF way where if you don't have a character, you're either a main eventer or you aren't anybody. Um, well. Yeah, true. So, yeah, if he was going to come in and be mid-card, he wasn't going to come in and be Carl Ouellette and just be serious uh, Canadian. Um, but, yeah, it's different. Um, uh, like, again, on any ordinary month, we probably would let this go, but given the fact we had, like, nothing else that we have to discuss, I thought we'd bring it up because it's quite fun. Gives me an excuse to play the promo. Um, yeah, I, I get the sense he just slots into mid-card, um, the mid-card melting pot, along with all of the other characters that aren't going anywhere. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was fine. Uh, it was on Superstars, so it's not that they drew massive attention to it, I just thought it was was quite a fun thing to listen to. Um, but we'll move on to our, our final discussion point this month. Um, Stuart, they're going to add four more pay-per-views this year. Um, that's different. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's a good move. I think business-wise it might be. I just don't know whether programming-wise it is. I mean, you point to the WrestleMania card and the fact that they've struggled to put together a sellable card for that. What makes them think they can put together sellable pay-per-view cards throughout the year without having two or three months to build to them? Yeah, I mean, it's not like, with the exception of WrestleMania, which is always a bit different, it's not like they go from SummerSlam to Survivor Series with these three-month-long epic feuds. You know, things simmer slowly, but it's not like they're they're undercutting this three-month story arc cycle that they, they usually use. Um, it's just more of a case of going from three months a show to one month a show, even if you're saying these shows are bigger, you're still asking people to pay money, so you've still got to come up with a reason for people to buy this show. And I don't know whether they've proven themselves to be nimble enough on their feet to be able to do that. We we, we go back to what happened with Lex Luger and kind of how long that took to play out and, and, and where that would have gone wrong. What would they have done between SummerSlam and the Royal Rumble or even some... Because I mean, they're talking about going to many, potentially one a month next year and they pretty much effectively are this time anyway. But say between SummerSlam and WrestleMania next year, uh, or the WrestleMania the following year, sorry, if they'd have had a pay-per-view every month, what would they have done with Lex Luger? And I don't know is the answer, because the logical thing would have been, well, if the main events are going to be a title match, it's Luger and Yokozuna in a rematch, which kind of didn't make sense. At least with how they did it this way, they had two shows, and neither of which was headlined by a title match, which made more sense. Wayne, what do you think? I mean, they've got to keep up with WCW somehow, but um, I, I think they're going to need a, a much deeper roster. I mean, if you have a look at the, the Royal Rumble, which uh, you know, which um, uh, we, we, which we just seen a couple of months ago, 
you know, the, <laughs> the, the, the amount of characters in that Royal Rumble, any of them are on these other pay-per-views. I'm not going to be, whether it's cheap or not, I'm not going to be buying them. No, there is, I think there's going to be a pressure on them to create a much wider talent pool at the top. Um, and difficult because we're talking about a company that was used to be booked on Hulk Hogan and that was it and everything else was spun off Hulk Hogan. One, Diesel isn't Hulk Hogan, so I don't think the effect would even be all that mitigated anyway, but equally, I don't know how Hulk Hogan, well, I guess we may find out in WCW, I don't know how that Hulk Hogan character would have gone being month-to-month, pay-per-view-to-pay-per-view, given that Hogan's character was very much build up a guy, build up a guy, faces Hogan, loses. Build up a guy, build up a guy, faces Hogan, loses. How would that have worked, Stuart, month-to-month? It probably wouldn't, although I suppose you could point to the Saturday night's main event cards as yeah. essentially being sort of substitute pay-per-views. And, and they generally make those shows interesting, but I would say at that time they had a much deeper roster filled with more characters that were over. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think business-wise, I think they'll do all right. I mean, their, their pay-per-views are still doing more buyers than WCW are. Um, and, and I get the sense that, you know, WCW has seemed to have been all right adding more pay-per-views. So I think the evidence is there that suggests that WF might be as well. But equally, I don't know whether, you know, you, they'll do a show in April, then they've got to do a show in May, then they've got King of the Ring, then if they're back in July, then they've got SummerSlam. That's five months in a row, and it's like, well, if Diesel wins every one of those months, you, you've got to find a new pay-per-view for him each, a uh, new main event for him each time. Um, and given that their roster isn't very deep, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. But it, it'll be fun to find out. That, that's probably the best way to, to end this discussion. And this part of the show, I'm going to be back with Dale the other side of the break talking WCW. But thankfully, thank you first of all to Wayne Lithgow. Thank you very much, Bob. Uh, you're on Twitter, Wayne. Yep. Wayne L84. And Stuart Brooks. Yep, cheers again, Bob. Thanks. Uh, Stuart, you've got your own podcast, and we were promoted at the end of the WCW part, but it's probably more pertinent here, given that it's 95% WWF stuff. Uh, tell me about that and where they can listen. It's the New Generation Project podcast. It's available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Botchomania.com. I'm, I'm, I'm losing count of all the different places it is at the minute, actually. But, yeah, it basically covers WWF pay-per-views throughout the mid-90s. We started at a similar point to you, Bob, around about June 1993. And, and we're in the middle of 96 at the minute, just covering uh, Nash and Diesel, uh, sorry, Nash and Hall leaving. Yeah, and, and you're on Facebook and Twitter. Yep, facebook.com slash new generation project podcast and Twitter at new gen podcast. Excellent. That will conclude this part of the show. I'm going to back to the other side of the break. I'm on the ECW part, but Dell's presenting it because well, I, I couldn't be bothered. Um, so yeah, that will do that and we'll be back to the other side of this. If anyone's opinion is respected, both from a National Football League standpoint as well as the World Wrestling Federation standpoint, it's yours, Big Cat, Ernie Ladd. You terrorize the football field. You terrorize the squared circle in the WWF. You've done it all, from All-Pro to Hall of Fame. You've done it all in both fields. And therefore, since perhaps no one else living today is qualified as much as you are to render opinion as to Lawrence Taylor's chances against Bam Bam Bigelow, we ask you the question, what kind of a chance does Lawrence Taylor have against Bam Bam Bigelow at WrestleMania? My honest opinion, it's a very difficult situation. 
He was a great football player. Without a shadow of a doubt. Hall of Famer. The very first time around. Bam Bam Bigelow is in his arena. Lawrence Taylor is not in his arena. Great athlete. What chance would he have? His chances are not very, very good. I will communicate with him, if possible, as much as I can, to try to help him get an edge. But then but again, there's no edge. You made it, though. I made it, but I chose to. I started, I trained, and I trained, and I trained, and I trained, and I trained to be a wrestler. I didn't make it, per se, my very first year. It took some time. I got my nose pushed into the mat, elbows bloody, mm-hmm. knees bloody. But when you talk about emotions, I think Lawrence Taylor is wrestling on emotions. I think pride has something to do with it. And you know what happened to Lucifer? He got kicked out of heaven because of pride. I'm not saying Lawrence Taylor is going to be destroyed because of pride. Lawrence Taylor is a great athlete, not a good athlete. It's a difference between a good athlete and a great athlete. If he can generate some type of element of surprise, it'll make a difference on his side. But there are people on the outside who would like to see Lawrence Taylor hurt also. I understand around the ring. No question. So I don't see his chances being very good from the beginning. I really don't. Well-respected opinion, ladies and gentlemen, of the big cat, Ernie Ladd. Mr. Ladd, we thank you very much for joining us tonight on Monday Night Raw and wish you the very best of luck. Ah, New York, New York. The city's so grand they had to name it twice. <laughs> What's the franchise doing in the Big Apple? <laughs> Call the hotline tonight and find out. <laughs> so moving on, we're now on ECW. My name's Del Muir. I'm joined again by Bob. Bob, hello. Good evening. I, I decided to be a guest on my own show, so screw it. Hello, Del. There we go. And this is a quiet month for ECW this month, following on for last month's Double Tables review, but still a great month for for weekly TV. Bob, start us off with the news. All right. ECW are building to what is probably their biggest card in history on April the 8th. The show, titled Three Way Dance, featured a tag team main event of the tag champions Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko versus Sabu and Taz versus The Public Enemy. Shane Douglas will face the Sandman for the ECW title. New television champion Two Cold Scorpio will face Eddie Guerrero. On the show on the 15th of April, Cactus Jack will face Terry Funk in a match that has been built heavily on television this month. And in what might be a little bit more than ECW's usual digs at the big two companies, Shane Douglas featured in a quite a brief clip, but certainly noteworthy in March of 14th, that aired a, a tease that were believed to, to be very real negotiations with the WWF. Um, Douglas was shot in a car driving over a bridge in Manhattan, and he invited people to call the ECW hotline to find out why he was there. The graphic ran with the line, Is the franchise leaving ECW? Call the hardcore phone line to find out. Two Cold Scorpio defeated Dean Malenko to win the ECW television title this month in a change that was largely used to fuel the tag title picture after interference from Taz. Taz confronted Malenko during the match dressed in street clothes. He had a fantastic suplex on Malenko and Two Cold Scorpio picked up the win. And lastly, an interesting note for a live event earlier in the month concerning the end of a match between Shane Douglas and Tully Blanchard. Blanchard was apparently wanting the match to end in a, a disqualification, but apparently Booker Paul Heyman 
wants a booking strategy more based around pinfall, submission and time limit draw finishes. Um, Blanchard eventually agreed, but it does appear to be his final match in that run that he's been having with the company. Oh, <laughs> oh Cactus Jack, one-on-one, me and you. <laughs> you know I can't stand your flagellating family. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do, me and you, April the 15th? I'm going to kill you, that's right. I'm going to kill Cactus Jack. I may get the chair, but I'm going to kill him. No, I'm going to tell you what. I might just torture him, and then I'm going to kill him. No, I may kill him, and then I'm going to torture him. No, I'll tell you what. I'm going to castrate him first, then I'm going to kill him, and then I'm going to torture him. No, whoa, wait a minute. What am I going to do? I'm going to castrate him, kill him, torture him, and then I... I know what I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to strap him into the bumper of my 55 Buick, and I'm going to pull that son of a bitch down the main street of Philadelphia. That's what I'm going to do. Do you ever look at Cactus Jack? Did you ever look at his face? Oh, what a face he's got. If I had a face like him, I'd have it circumcised. <laughs> oh, I am looking so forward to this. Shane Douglas... I've had enough of you and your comments about people that I love and I respect. And Cactus Jack, I've had enough of your body, of your thoughts that you are a wonderful professional wrestler. You actually believe that. Well, I prove to you that I am the man, and I will always be the man on April the 15th. It's going to be a hot time at the ECW Arena. <laughs> so moving on with the TV review, we're starting the 7th of March. Quick tag match between the, the Pitbulls and Chad Austin and Joel Goodhart. Jason wasn't present at the time, but Joey Styles were doing a good job in commentary, putting over the, the tag division at the minute. We've got the Pitbulls, Benoit and Malenko, the public enemy, Sabu and Taz, really looking good. And obviously, as Bob said at the start, we are coming on to that, that live event next month that we'll be reviewing, which really kind of shows the, the strength of ECW's tag team division at the minute. Um, we've got another promo backstage from Sandman, Woman and Terry Funk. Um, they're all talking about Cactus Jack. Sandman's telling him to, to bring it on if he thinks he's hard enough to take on the Sandman. Woman then stresses the importance of her cold-blooded business. And Terry Funk then blasts Cactus for thinking that he could be the next Terry Funk. Calls Jack a mockery to the profession and also a charlatan. We've then got Shane Douglas backstage response to this previous promo with a brandaged Cactus Jack. They talk about their history coming up together, the hardship of paying their dues and what Jack hoped his future would hold. Cactus then responds by calling out those that didn't believe in him or support him at the times he needed it. He used to be the little engine that could, but whenever he needed help, Funk had then failed him. And we cut to Tommy Dreamer. He's talking about Sandman, the nemesis. He's talking about Shane Douglas, the opponent, Cactus Jack, the partner, 
and Terry Funk, the mentor, so kind of try to tie in Tommy Dreamer with this situation that's going on at the minute. Talks a bit about the history of women in Sandman when she originally turned on him and the previous unsettled feud that he had with Shane Douglas. Dreamer then talks about his relationship with Terry Funk. They kind of saw each other as a bit of father and son and he then goes on to give a bit of history about Raven. So another flashback to last month's um, last month's Tully Blanchard and Shane Douglas match, and then to end the the seventh of March show, we've got another Public Enemy promo from quote unquote in the hood. Um, it's a recap of showing a recap of Benoit powerbomb Sabu from the top rope through Johnny, um, through Rocko Rock, sorry, and pretty strong talk at the end for Johnny Grunge building up the the main streak that the enemy's got. We're then cutting to Johnny bringing out Rocco in a wheelchair after the, the event itself, which kind of sums up the public enemy, where it can be hilarious to look at, but there's just that undercurrent of scariness to it as well. There's only one way you get in this chair on the streets. Sometimes you don't go to jail. Sometimes you don't get caught by the man. Sometimes you got to pay the price. Last time I was in one of these chairs, I was 16 years old. And you can find the guy that put me here and talk to him, which I doubt. Then you can find out the answer. But don't think for one minute every fan in this building doesn't know that Flatboy Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge did not beat Sapu and Taz last time in this arena. What 1,500 fans, me, Moonsaw, Sabu through a table. Somebody, somebody. Public enemy, public enemy, usually that's the Robin. You take your homicidal, suicidal, death-defying duo of Tasmaniac and Sabu. You pat them on the backs because they are the ECW Tag Team Champs. But you know what, Paulie? We're coming back for them belts. And they're coming back to the hood. Public enemy is the ECW. Pat Gordon, we know you're in cahoots with Paulie dangerously. You don't want two guys like us representing supposedly your organization. Homie, this ain't your organization, baby. It's mine and Johnny's. And you take Chris Benoit, the crippler, and Dean Malenko, they came out, did this to me and put me in this chair. You're not no crippler and you're not no shooter, brother. You are looking at the two cripplers and the two shooters around here. A 
Um, the mood then changes as Benoit and Malenko arrive, but we'll actually have a bit of a, a more in-depth feature on this in the next couple of weeks on TV when it all was aired in full. And moving on to the 14th of March, we've got Joey Styles opening up the show at the start as Paulie dangerously basically just mocks him when he's standing at his side. Paulie then builds up Malenko and Benoit for the rematch with Sabu and Taz. The public enemy, pretty much a story through the the full show this week as they've got a hold of a contract that they managed to get from our free phone lawyers. Um, they're trying to get the, the contract signed to arrange this match for the, the three-way dance next month. We've got 9-1-1 blocking them originally, but Paulie then agrees to sign it and they're off to get the, the signatures of Benoit and Malenko next. Um, Joey Styles hypes up the, the show for April. Again, another good comedy spot for the public enemies. They manage to rob his watch and his wallet while they're interviewing him. And we've also got the return of Two Cold Scorpio. Um, quick match, just a couple of highlights from him beating Hector Guerrero with his 450, 450 splash for the top. And again, we've got that Shane Douglas spot in the middle that we spoke about in the news. Is he going to WWF? You would only find out if you phoned the Hardcore Hotline. So actually got a really good spot up next from the Rottens. The Bad Breed that separated a couple of months ago. Um, we've got Axel and Ian both cutting some pretty decent promos considering we don't really hear that much of them. Um, Axel's, Axel's um, backstage responding to Ian who's already called him the bastard son of the family. They were the Bad Breed but now it's down to a matter of bad blood. You people know a lot about Axel and Ian Rotten. You know that we've spilled a lot of blood in ECW arenas. Well, it's time to tell a family secret. See, Axel Rotten was the bastard child my mother never wanted. And my mother did everything she could to teach us the fundamentals of life. Blood. Sweat. Tears, blood, sweat, and tears, blood, blood, and tears, blood, blood, blood. See, Axel, it's no longer bad breed. It's bad blood, and it's time for this family business to be done. You know, people, extreme championship wrestling means a lot of things to a lot of people. And as I stand here and hold this bat, wrapped in barbed wire, let's digress for a moment about what this is all about, Ian. Do you understand for one minute what this is all about? Extreme Championship Wrestling, the only promotion in the continental United States with the guts to put two men in a ring with solid wood, solid steel. You see, when we have a match... And there's a bat in the ring. That exemplifies what hardcore professional wrestling is all about. (laughs) You see, the great philosopher Plato said, In a violent society, there is no justice. Well, in extreme championship wrestling, Ian, the justice is steel. The justice is wood. And Axel Rotten is going to show you, (laughs) like I did, in the barbed wire baseball bat match in the most hardcore city in this country, Philadelphia. Yeah, the family business has got to be settled, Ian. The baseball bat surrounded in barbed wire didn't do it. Something will. 
and guarantee that that something will be extreme. So Bob, Axel, Rotten, Ian Rotten, they can talk. Yeah, um, I th- these weren't ten out of ten promos, but they were five out of ten promos executed pretty well. Um, and I think in a way that's probably a good thing. Um, but yeah, they they needed a bit of personality um, in the sense that. They're, while they don't talk, they're quite homogenised almost, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, um, but it yeah. means when you're trying to build a programme like this and you put them against each other, it's like, well, they're kind of the same. And, and, and you know, after kind of hearing those promos and looking back on them, they, you know, they, they didn't exactly differentiate themselves all that well, um, but but they did a very good job of what they're doing. Um, and I, I'm looking forward to their match, which I guess is, is the aim of all this. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I don't know whether this is going to be one that's going to be appearing at the, at the three-way dance, or, I mean, it's definitely got the legs for a, a decent shoot. I mean, we've seen that, that split up in the match with the Pitbulls. We talked to, talked to Ad Nauseam about the end of that. There was just as in it if it was just going to see in the, the business at this point in time. But kind of giving them the, the mic time, it does show that different side to them that we've never, never really seen before, to be honest. I mean, I think I was maybe a bit more impressed with it than you. I thought it was really good. The, the stuff for Ian to start with, I thought was really good. Axel comes on and then it's even, it's even better. And I thought, I mean, he's talking about quoting Plato, which just came out of nowhere for me. Um, I thought it was a really, really good surprise there. A promo package. And as you say, it's, it's something that's been going on for a month or two. Gives it a new, a new lease of life. You're excited to see where it's going, which as you say, has got to be the, got to be the final product that they're looking for. Yeah, um, I mean, so I think that, you know, if you're guys like Axel and Ian Rotten and, and you're backstage in a company like ECW, a company where you either can cut a great promo or generally don't talk, there are a few exceptions to that rule. Two Code Scorpios, one Chris Benoit is another. Yeah. But generally the guys who aren't seen to be money promos don't get given mic time. So when, you know... And as a consequence of that, the guys who can talk, it's a lorry load of incredibly good names. Cactus Jack, yeah. Terry Funk, would have come to those in a minute, Shane Douglas, uh, Paul Lee Dangerously, you know, a, a long list of really good promo cutters. And it's like, you get, you, this was probably their one chance. And, and, and again, I don't think they blew it out of the water, but they both did way better jobs than I think we would have expected. Than we'd expect, yep. So I mean, moving on in the sticking to, well, I suppose the former tag team, the Bad Breed, Get definitely one of the matches of the month this month in a, a tag match between um, Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko going up against Paulie Dangerously's animals of the Tasmaniac and Sabu. Um, Benoit and Malenko were originally out with the Public Enemy at the start of the match. Public Enemy just laid out at this point. Taz and Sabu came out in the fourth brawl to start the start the match. Um, it's pretty rough looking hooked clothesline for Benoit and the crowd's really strongly behind Paul E's guys. Um, it was a close count after Sabu's top rope seated sent on, but Benoit and Malenko looked like just a well-oiled fight machine, really, really solid solid pair in these two. Um, There's a couple of beautiful standing vertical suplexes from Benoit, but then Taz, um, Taz manages to get over the, the both of them before Benoit 
lifts up Sabu going for a power bomb. Um, when he goes for the power bomb, Dean Malenko gets to the top rope and actually delivers a bulldog to Sabu from the, the top of Benoit's shoulders. And then the crowd explodes as soon as Taz gets into the, the ring, really starts commanding. And you just see what these four guys can all can all do. Um, Taz ends up getting hurt and 911 actually has to carry him to the back, which leaves Sabu on his own against Benoit and Malenko. Um, does pretty well considering they, they t- double team him for a, a brief while. Sabu then gets launched up in the air by both of them, but manages to catch a double drop kick on the come down. Um, there's a couple of somersault planches to the outside from Sabu, which you can almost kind of forgive ourselves for coming to expect from this from this guy. But, I mean, it's really just a couple of minutes of outstanding work at this point. There's the two planches to the outside. He ends up getting a springboard moonsault to the outside on Malenko. And then at the other side of the ring, manages to get a top row crossbody to the outside onto Benoit as well. Um, he then doesn't stop there. He gets a couple of air sabus over the top. Lands on both of them. And just, as I say, an amazing, amazing two minutes for possibly the most exciting performer in the country at this minute. Um, he recreates the, tries to recreate the table and the turnbuckle spot from last month. But again, Benoit gets to the, the top and shoves Sabu off. He really lands pretty awkwardly on the, the chair that was on top of the table as well. And then the power bomb from the, the top to Sabu from Benoit gets the win. And these two guys are the new, the new tag team champions again. Just, uh, just an amazing watch. And I mean, even after the match, We've then got Benoit calling out the the public enemy again. We've got Johnny kind of try to drag out Rocco, who's still struggling with the the injury that he got after that spot last month. Taz then comes back with nine one one. He's still a bit injured, so nine one one just launches him to the outside, taking out everybody. Sabu's still going crazy. Does a cross body, which does the same, takes out everybody there. Nine one one then, then much to the the crowd's approval. Choke slams the ref for trying to stop the stop the carnage. The crowd's just hysterical. Bob, after all this, I just can't wait for for next month's freeway dance. It's just going to be amazing, I think. Yeah, um, they, they've done a tremendous job with, with this build um, in terms of creating three very different but tag teams, but ones where it's kind yeah. of it, it, it's easy to like and hate each of these teams in equal yeah. measure. And I think they're they're, they're smart enough to realise that given the audience that they're in front of. They're doing me, yeah. Um, but we've got yeah, I mean I. I think Benoit and Malenko are kind of coming off as the heels just with, you know, the way they've attacked people, particularly the way Benoit set upon, uh, Rocco Rock. Uh, oh. I think, I think that we're going to recap that angle in full in a bit after this. Yeah. Um, but I think they've done a really good job. The match itself was very good. It wasn't any better than that. I think, you know, you can read reports out of the ECW arena that may say this match was great. I don't think it was, but there was a, a brief kind of 60 second spell in the middle where it's Sabu on, on both guys and he hits that double drop kick after a, a, yeah. a prolonged amount of time, you know, on, on the defensive side. And the crowd went with that and then he dumps both of them to the outside and does this bit where he's kind of running from one side of the ring to the other, does a die to the outside to Benoit, gets back in the ring, runs across the other side, <laughs> does a die to the outside to Dimalenko. Uh, that was really good. The match itself, as I say, it was very good. It wasn't any better than that, but it was it was a, a very good TV 
uh, tag title match. Um, and yeah, you're right. They, they've done a, a phenomenal job setting up next month. And in a minute, we'll, we'll explore more of what they've done with that. That's it. I mean, especially when you're adding the public enemy into that mix as well. We might as well talk about it here as well, Bob, for anybody that did. Messages to kind of tie it in with these, these four guys that we've just seen tying another two that's going to make up the, the match in April at the start. As we said earlier on, Rocco Rock was basically the brunt of the, the kind of carnage for last month when Benoit had then power bombed Sabu onto the table, which Rocco Rock was laid out on. And it was sold as a bit of a rib injury to Rocco. So Rocco comes out at the, the start of this TV taping with Johnny Grunge, but Rocco's in a wheelchair. They come out. Rocco's obviously selling those injuries. They call out Benoit and Malenko for what had, what had happened. Just obviously sowing the seeds of this, this three-way dance next month. Um, Benoit and Malenko oblige. They then come out, but as Rocco's in the wheelchair, the kind of struggle to really put up much of a fight against these two hungry young guys. Um, Rocco basically just gets annihilated in the wheelchair, gets thrown into the the barrier, ends up rolling all over the floor. His ribs take a, a beating again. Johnny has to help him out. Moving these three teams together, as Bob said, it's it's three teams that's really been put together well. They know who they are. The crowd knows how to react to them. And when you've got somebody the likes of Sabu in a match that can do the wild stuff he does, you've got Benoit and Taz that can both hit a suplex as good as anybody else. You've got that shooting side of Dean Malenko, and we both we both know Bob what the public enemy's been doing in the the last twelve months, as we've already told already, and we'll talk more about next month. It really has just got the the makings of something pretty special and really different, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think they, the match next month has the potential. I mean, it, it, it's going to headline what's probably going to be ECW's biggest show to date. Um, it's definitely stacked, yep. So, no pressure on these guys, but there's kind of perhaps an expectation that we're going to have another big moment next month, and that that's very interesting and very worthwhile looking forward to. So, moving on, just again to show the depth of the... The tag team roster at the minute in ECW, we've got Public Enemy going again, trying to get the the contract signed for this um, three-way dance next month. They actually managed to track down Jason, so they're originally interested in getting the um, getting Malenko and Chris Benoit to sign this contract, but after finding Jason, who is currently the, the manager of the shooter, Dean Malenko, they managed to try and get him to sign it. Obviously, he's backstage with the Pitbulls at this point, and the Pitbulls just start attacking the the public enemy. I don't know about you, Bob, but possibly my line of the month was Jason getting told they can either sign this contract or he's going to eat it. Jason obviously says he prefers caviar. And we've then got Jason, Jason cutting a promo on the public enemy after they've been annihilated by the pit bulls. They then even lead on to do a, a promo as well, kind of talking about Ian and Axel Rotten earlier on. The pit bulls are then cutting a promo and they're saying that the, the ECW, it's the house that the public enemy built, but the pit bulls have then threw them at it and took over it. And then the best image of the month falling on for Jason's line earlier on, just Jason dancing in the background. This pit bull one's pretty much exploded in the camera. Jason just, just dances behind him, which again just made me love Jason even more, Bob. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I don't need to say any more. Just listen to everything <laughs> for the last six months. 
he's just he's just brilliant and it's certainly some very much every show that you watch you're going to see him do something ridiculous something funny and it definitely hits home with, with us too as an audience anyway um, last couple of things for the 14th show we've got a Shane Douglas promo he goes back to talk about the NWA title from last August um, what it means to, to Terry Funk and he's not one to suffer twice from repeating history he's already told Terry Funk that he should be retiring and he knows that um, he knows that that was a big night in August, and Funk no showed it. Um, we lead on to Cactus. Cactus and Douglas really seeming to get a bit of a, a relationship this month. We kind of teaming together, especially coming up together in the the business. Cactus then goes on to talk about his night in August. It was the night where him and Terry Funk should have been on top of the world with winning those tag team titles. But after Funk no showed it, he managed to get a hold of young Mikey Whipwreck. And obviously we spoke about that throughout the last half of uh, 1994. But he then says, because Funk no show in the event, he calls him a piece of shit. He says it was a strange pairing between the between him and Shane Douglas, but it really does really does work. Um, last promo of the month for the 14th, we think it women calling out Shane Douglas as a wannabe. She knows that she's managed the Force Horseman in the past. Douglas, that's all he's ever wanted to do is be Ric Flair and be a horseman, and he never could be. Sandman then asked Douglas, um, asked speaking to characters, sorry, asked if Douglas can truly be trusted. And then we've then got Terry Funk filling out the last of those three warning characters about just the depth of what he's getting into. So March 21st we've got Joey Styles at the beginning actually bringing out a return than Ron Simmons and different to the the last time the crowd really not feeling feeling big Ron at all. Well, um, so it's different to the last time, Dale. I don't think they were feeling him last time he got in either. Well, I suppose, oh. I suppose. And I mean, he does definitely deliver on the... The attitude that he's got here, I mean, there is still a few of them just with it being in Philadelphia. There are still trying to do the, the tomahawk chop and things, but a lot of them really booing them. And then just Ron Simmons just starts blasting the, the crowd. He talks about Joey Styles' poor introduction for him. He should be building, building Simmons' credentials, former world champion and the likes, Florida State. Um, I think it's um, Hack Myers. Then comes out the shaman at ECW, takes him out, attacks him, attacks him. Hack Myers pre-match, and the crowd are just on fire at this point. They're telling Ron Simmons to eat shit. Um, Shah builds up some momentum. He manages to get a, a bit of momentum into the match, but again, Ron Simmons just cuts him off with a power slam. The crowd again chanting, "You still shut. Um, you still suck." The Shaman Hack Myers then gets a bit of offence in again, but Ron Simmons gets his spine buster quick win. Um, Simmons then pretty innovative for the the time he then pretty much hosts a, a sitting in the crowd, um, a sitting in the ring, sorry, and challenging anybody in the back to come out. Anybody that thinks he can beat him, Benoit, Malenko, give me anybody. Nine one one, Paulie obliges, and it comes the the big man Simmons then almost. Does something that we've never really seen before and manages to get 911 down, slams him in the concrete, gives him a spine buster, and the crowd just kind of seem to hush at this point. Um, they've never really seen 911 in this in this position, but Paulie manages to get them back with leading a 911 chant, manages to get the choke slam, choke slams Simmons again in the big man's back. So Joey Styles then builds up the three-way dance. We've then got a funk pre-tape. Um, backstage, he's just kind of maniacally laughing, talks about Cactus's family. Um, he threatens to 
basically punish Cactus, torture him, castrate him, kill him, and then drag him around town at the back end of his Buick. Um, if he'd the face that Cactus had, he would circumcise it, but then the maniacal nature of Funk just goes away at this point. It goes silent, brings out the Brandon Iron that he's famous for, talks to Shane Douglas. Funk is the man. Funk always has been the man. And it just really shows the two the two sides to Terry Funk. It just make him the the scary guy that he is. Really crazy, really crazy, really crazy. And then just like a fox at the end. Terry Funk, there's one word you'd use to describe me that I can't seem to get out of my head. Charlatan. And I don't even know what it means, but I'm pretty sure it's not somebody who lives in North Carolina. But I got a decent idea. I think, Terry Funk, you're out there questioning my credentials. I'm not exactly Phil Donahue, but there are a couple things I'm a little sensitive about. One of them is my family. The other one is my claims to legitimacy in this great sport, and you've questioned them both. Well, Terry Funk, you're out there saying, hey, I don't need a goofy name like Cactus Jack. What is a Cactus Jack? You use your full name. Anybody who watches this show, Terry Funk, I'm not opening any secrets. I'm not harboring a secret. I'm Mick Foley. I was born Michael F. Foley, Bloomington, Indiana, and I don't even know what the hell New Mexico looks like. But the name kind of fit, and I'm stuck with it for better or worse. So you fans, you want to chant Mickey, Mickey, you do it. You want to chant Cactus Jack, go ahead, because I call myself Cactus Jack for one reason. I earned it! I earned it, Terry Funk! And for better or worse, for the last 29 years of my life, this has been me. I may be a scumbag, but I'm always a scumbag. Now, who are you, Terry Funk? Are you Frankie the Thumper? Are you doing the job for Patrick Swayze? Or are you lasting all of 13 episodes on Tequila and Bonetti? Well, Terry Funk, you'll look at me and realize I'm going to put you on a permanent hiatus. So you tell me, Terry Funk, who has the true credentials? You want your credentials as one of the greatest competitors in the sport? Like I said, I can't take that away from you. But April 15th, Terry Funk, two weeks after we wrestle in front of one of the largest crowds Japan has ever seen, 60,000 people in the Egg Dome. Well, Terry Funk, I'm going to leave just enough of you left to bring you into my home. The ECW arena, the intimate confines, and show each and every one of these fans out here an intimate view of your skull. Because make no mistake, when Cactus Jack is perched up high in that second turnbuckle, and you're looking at a 287-pound missile descending on your wrinkled old body, that feeling in your throat is not excitement. It's your liver! So Terry Funk, you want to play with fire? Well, I'm not exactly a fireman, but I say there will be a rebuttal. I say, Terry Funk, your ass is going to be burnt. And I say, Terry Funk, that while I am helpless to change the past, I'm going to make damn sure that the rest of your miserable life is spent in the worst way possible. You may have put Cactus Jack's shoulders down for a three count today, but I'm going to put your wrinkled old ass in a wheelchair for the rest of eternity. So think about it, Terry Funk, when day in and day out, this is the face you see. When you kiss your wife, you'll see me. 
When you say goodbye to your children, you'll see me. And when they leave your bitter old ass and you're washed up and you're on your dying day, I hope the last things that cross through that pathetic mind of yours are very simple. I shouldn't have messed with Cactus Jack. I shouldn't have messed with Mick Foley. Big Bang! So, response for Cactus Jack. Says he doesn't really know what a charlatan is, but Terry Funk called him before. But he's pretty much sure that it's not someone from North Carolina. He's not standing there as Mickey Foley. He's standing there as Cactus Jack. He calls himself Cactus Jack because he earned it. Calls himself a 287-pound missile. Funk's going to get burned, and Cactus will put him in a wheelchair, and that's for life. So, Bob, first up, Terry Funk. We know you're a fan. No, I'm a fan. We think that's promo. I think when we, we did a show in September, and I seem to recall me saying that that Funk hadn't been missed given the quality of the show. Yeah. Um, and I seem to recall you saying I'd actually forgot he was gone, and that was uh-huh. kind of true because we were we're in the midst of the Sam and stuff and all the above and everything that came with that. Um, it's great to have him back, and he the minute he starts talking, it's like. Ah, yeah, that's what we've been missing. Like, the, 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 there's nothing like him on this roster, and, and those yeah. those promos were great. I mean, it's it's the mania, maniacal Terry Funk um, at his and then very just the very cold best. Blooded, the, yeah, the cold blooded nature at the end as well. When it goes to Douglas, it's like Cactus is crazy. I'm going to be crazy to match him. Shane Douglas thinks he means business. I'm going to mean business back to him. And it was just, as you say, you almost kind of didn't miss him last year. But then as soon as we seen that return last month, it was amazing. And then followed up with stuff like this backstage. Just like, ah, Terry, Terry Funk's still there. He definitely still got it. God, God forgive us for almost forgetting him last year. Cactus, what do you think about his response to this, Bob? Um, we've almost come to expect great powers from Cactus Jack. The, the rate he's been cutting them in the last few months. Uh, this was no exception. Uh, I think Wade Keller said it might be his best ever. I don't quite agree with that. I think the, um, the, the promo he cut with Tommy Dream, I think in December was, yeah. was probably the best I've seen of him. Uh, but this was pretty damn close. Uh, and you know, and it's a great setup for the feud, you know, saying, you, you know, I've never been to Mexico. Um, you know, uh, my name is Michael Foley. Call me that if you want. Call me Cactus Jack if you want. You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, really effective. They, 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 they've done a great job with this. I mean, I, to, to fill in a bit of the backstory on, on this feud, this is as much for their upcoming program in Japan this summer as it is for, for Funk and, uh, and Cactus Jack in ECW in the next few months. So the primary reason for this feud in, Philadelphia is so that Japanese wrestling media can get some visuals and tapes if they've got any televisions and photos from magazines and, and quotes and so they can almost present Funk and Cactus Jack in Japan with a build for, for that first match. Uh, so that's what that's all about. Um, but they've done such a good job so far. So next up we've got another match from Two Cold Scorpio that's now come back into the, into the company. He's going up against the shooter Dean Malenko, and it's actually going to be for the TV title. Um, Malenko's pretty hot at the start of the match, can't really seem to get the upper hand on Scorpio, 
but obviously Scorpio's struggling with that, that ankle injury that we've seen him pick up. Um, there's a long sleeper from Malenko. Fans start to get a little bit restless, but then Malenko picks up on it, gets a drop kick, gains a bit of momentum. Starts working the, the head to start with, but then moves on to that bad wheel of two called Scorpios. Um, it's almost a, a modified figure four in the middle of the move, the middle of the match, and it just shows the, just amazing submission arsenal that Dean, Dean Malenko's got to his game. Um, two cold, really, really selling brilliantly throughout the, the full match. He's hopping around ringside trying to get away from, from Malenko. He does manage to get a, a chair, Dean Malenko, but Scorpio kicks it out his, kicks out his grip and again sells that, sells that ankle. He does manage to do a savat kick onto Dean Malenko and then hobbles afterwards and then Dean Malenko gets Scorpio up for a tombstone. Two cold reverses it, gets him into the tombstone position for his cell, and again, he sells it on one leg, he's kind of hopping about with Dean Malenko on his shoulders, does manage to get that tombstone, but just with the, the lack of foundation with the one leg, even after a moonsault, he still only managed to get a two count, um, there's top rope cross body from from Scorpio, Malenko moves out of the way, and the referee gets caught with the move, referee down, can't see what's going to happen next, but Pretty unsuspectedly, as Bob said in the news, we've then got Taz coming through the the crowd, just pretty much in civvies, not dressed up. And he's kind of he's um, kind of caveman outfit that we're used to seeing him in the ring. He's there, and it looks as if he's there to fight. Kind of strange to see him, but definitely gives another aspect to that to that character. Um, as Bob said earlier as well, beautiful suplex on Emilenko, almost lands in his head. It's kind of like the the one that was seen last last couple of months from Benoit onto Sabu, but done safely and still looks as impressive. Um, Taz then lays Scorpio over Malenko. I think he's going to get the title, but he does only get a two. Taz then kind of freaks out a bit, starts attacking the ref, su- um, suplexes Dean Malenko again. Scorpio thanks him, but he does say he wants to win this match alone, and Taz departs. Malenko goes for a roll-up. It then gets reversed. And amazingly, with one wheel, Scorpio's managed to get the win, and we've got a new TV champion. Um, after the match, Dean Malenko is just incensed. It almost seems to turn on Jason, who was at ringside, comes into the ring, but Malenko doesn't look impressed with Jason. But thankfully, with the look that was in, in Dean Malenko's eyes, Bob, I'm just happy that Jason was wearing darks. Well, yeah. Um, I don't get why Malenko kicked out of the suplex. Um, I know it wasn't, you know, it was a very nice looking move, and I, I know, you know, that, that they're building kind of Taz as a guy who's got a, a wide ver- arsenal of, of kind of different moves like that, you know, German suplexes and things like that. Um, but I don't think in that kind of angle, I, I want Malenko kicking out of Taz. He's not his finisher, but a move like that, I think I'd have had that in the yeah. match. Well, I mean, there was a couple, I think there was a couple of seconds, um, just with Taz kind of laying over Scorpio, then getting the referee up. I can, I can see it for both, both angles, to be honest, Bob. I mean, it does kind of build up Scorpio. It shows him getting the, the roll up on Malenko and him getting the win himself. But as you say, with Taz coming back and looking as different as he did and looking as striking as he did, especially with that, that suplex onto Malenko, you do kind of worry about the, worry about the thought process behind it, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the, the match wasn't 
great, although I wonder whether it's kind of one of those things where the both guys kind of said to themselves, well, you know, we're, we're going to go in with a screwed finish here. Let's, let's not overexert ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, but it didn't seem to click as much as you might think Scorpio Malenko would. So moving on, last week of the month, 28th of March, again starting up the the show with another build for these three tag teams going into the the three-way dance next month. Really kind of great package put together, just sells the the carnage of all six guys involved, just the solid in-ring stuff that they do as well, just absolutely bone-breaking. We've then got the first match of the night, Mikey Whipwreck coming out. Really, just as ever, adulated by the the crowd, and we've got Jason, sexiest man alive, ring ready. He's in with the tights in the ring, and we're going to be getting him going up against Mikey. Um, Jason builds the heat really well early on, goes to the outside. Mikey leads the the crowd in a chant again, who really on fire this month. Um, the crowd just start calling pussy at Jason, and Jason just being the heat seeking missile that he is takes the mics and this wouldn't happen in the WWF and I actually laughed out loud at this pop, I don't know about you um, the crowd then battered back at Jason saying you ain't shit so again another decent chance for the crowd um, and then we've got a vicious clothesline from Mikey on to Jason starts getting, a, starts getting a bit of momentum in the match, gets a springboard onto him, starts battering him with a battering him with a chair in really lovely spot where the referee takes the chair off of Mikey Jason then charges at him when he's unarmed, but Mikey moves out the road. Referee's still holding the chair. Bang, Jason goes head first into the referee holding it. So good agility from Jason back in the ring. And manages to get on the, the top rope, but in the middle of the rope as opposed to the turnbuckle. Goes for a dive for the top rope, um, but Mikey manages to get a, a top rope head scissors for the win. Finally gets that win over Jason, and it looks as if that could be the end to that, that storied feud for a little while. So cutting backstage, we've got Joey Styles with Dean Malenko. Again, selling the, the strong silent type of Dean Malenko and that shooting side of the character. Joey Styles just going through his usual motor mouth questions. Malenko just stares silently, then leaves. So again, building up the, the matches coming up over the next couple of weeks, we cut backstage to a brief, by Paul E standards, a brief Paul E promo, just building up 911 against Ron Simmons. And I don't know about you, Bob, but this is pretty exciting for me. We then get an announcement that Two Cold Scorpio, TV champion, is going to be competing next month. And it's going to be against, probably best known for Triple A at this time, Eddie Guerrero. What do you think? Yeah, this should be fun. Uh, Guerrero's got, uh, a lot of pedigree for his work in Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, with, as we saw with the AAA show back in November, he's certainly got a lot of ability. Um, no longer, obviously, we, we, we covered the news of the passing Arbar, of Arbar, yeah. but he's, he comes in as a singles act, but again, comes in as a guy with quite a big reputation. Um, Scorpio's a guy that can go and who can, potentially put on a very good match with him and these two could have a really good match if they're given the opportunity really exciting as well and we've got that belt involved as well I mean we spoke about it just a couple of minutes ago with the the two cold finish was that always the the plan to end it that way maybe not with a roll up and kicking out of Tazzy's Tazzy's um, suplex but definitely getting that belt on Scorpio having the match with Eddie definitely exciting stuff for for next month um, so 
pretty much the last bit of ECW TV for the month. We've then got Tommy Dreamer coming out. Pretty quiet month for Dreamer. But again, extending this feud that we've got with Raven. He's got his chance to get his hands on to the Raven. Um, but in order to do it, he is going to need to go through a, a gauntlet match. So first up, he's got Steve Richards. And he's going to have the Broad Street Bullies to get to his man, the Raven. So we start the ring. Tommy's got Hitman Tony Stetson. And he manages to get a quick one on him after a DDT. And a brawl outside uh, the ring. He gets the pin on Stetson. And up next we've got Johnny Hotbody for the Broad Street Bullies. He does go for a frog splash. Misses it. And Hotbody gets some shots in. But Dreamer again manages to get the one out of nowhere. And it's Steve Richards that's up next. He rushes in first to attack Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer obviously coming through those two matches. Um, Richards kind of really starts getting a bit of, get a bit of momentum earlier on. Um, he suplexes Dreamer onto the concrete, but then Tommy gives him the, the receipt and gets the same move back to, to get Richards slammed onto the, the hard floor as well. Dreamer just really looking pumped really right through this, just with that chance to get his hands and raving. Um, he shows Richards to the crowd, as we've seen in the last couple of months, with doing that standing pile driver spot. And as per the, the rules in this match, all three guys on the outside were actually handcuffed to the ring post at the start. I should maybe mention that at the start, but just to avoid obviously any run-ins, any dodgy deeds from Raven or any disciples, all three of these guys are handcuffed to the ring post. So during the match with Richards, unbeknownst to the referee at the time, we think got Terry Funk coming out. Tommy Dreamer's former mentor and the man that he looked at as a father figure as we discussed earlier in the show. Terry Funk comes out with a set of bolt cutters. He manages to free Raven who still stands in the corner as if he's been handcuffed to the ring post. So back in the ring, Tommy Dreamer gets the pin on Steve Richards and then he slowly approaches the Raven on the outside. Obviously unbeknown that Raven isn't attached to the ring post. Raven then breaks free gets Tommy Dreamer, DDTs him onto the concrete and then Tommy Dreamer's rolled into the ring quickly, gets a pin and the Raven manages to win. He then brutalises brutalises Tommy in the ring and it's just an absolute bloody mess to Tommy Dreamer's skull. Dreamer's then cuffed to the ropes as Raven's brought out another couple of sets of handcuffs, cuffs him to the ropes, stuns him with a chair right to the head and we cut off with, with the medics rushing Tommy out of the arena. What do you, what do you think of this, this feud that's kind of blossoming here, Bob? Where do you think it's going and what do you, what do you think so far? Yeah, very good. Um, I, I think they, they did a really good job with this in terms of not, you know, that, that they're trying to keep Dreamer and Raven not apart, but they're trying to uh, avoid the even confrontation with, with the theory being that obviously that Dreamer would always have to win the even confrontation. So I don't know as and even when we're going to get that, but I, I think at some point they're going to have to get to a match. Um, yeah. although I've, I suspect it will be a match that will start, but certainly won't end cleanly. That's yeah. far too soon in the few for that. Um, I think we need a little bit more storyline progression with these two you know raven's been on tv now for the better part of three months and we don't know a ton about the motivation beyond the kind of initial footnotes that we got at the start about these two guys knowing each other from from the past we don't really know Mm -hmm. what raven's motivations are against dreamer um and dreamer hasn't particularly helped and you kind of feel like 
Dreamer should be the guy that starts unraveling this story somewhat. Um, as a sidebar, um, we, we had the discussion last month on when whether Steve Richards was just bad by design or was just bad. Uh, I'm quite starting to quite enjoy him. He's kind of like the goofy guy who you know is always a try, and he's like when. When uh, when Hot Body and Stetson got eliminated, he was like, "Yep, yeah, I've got this," and then he goes in and loses. And I thought, I think yeah. he's he's blossoming into that role quite nicely as well. And I think with the Raven there as well, Bob, it kind of almost frees Richards a little bit when he's not expected to carry it, and he's kind of like the the lead henchman almost for this Raven this Raven character. It does kind of build him up as that kind of bumbling, overly confident kind of just really annoying little guy that thinks he's thinks he's running the show. I mean what they kinda of remind me of is like a it's almost like a bulk and skull out of the Power Rangers. I don't know if you ever watched it, Bob, but no, you know, having the having the the big the kind of big bully really in the Raven and then just the gullible sidekick where with Richards that kind of does his, does his every bidding. But as you say, he's definitely got legs going forward, but we do want to kind of have either a bit of an explanation of that backstory or a bit of confrontation between the two of them just to push it on. Yeah, I think they're also, I mean, to a point it's already been explained, but I think they're going to have to long term explain why Raven would, would have Richards as an associate if he's just going to keep getting his ass handed to him. It makes sense given that Richards is the guy that can eat a lot of the shit that Raven should be eating. Um, but equally, they're going to have to explain why Raven wouldn't just, you know, cash him out and bring in someone who's a bit better at the job. Um, so there's some work to be done, but so far so good. And the angle they presented here was, was it wasn't great, but it was very effective and it was very simple. And last match in a month on ECW Hardcore TV, actually meant to be Marty Jannetty. We got a, a brief kind of talk from Joey Styles on the phone to Marty Jannetty talking about quote unquote a cancelled flight. Make it out what you will. Um, 911, who's out with Sabu. It was meant to be Sabu who's fighting Marty Jannetty. 911 then goes backstage to find Sabu, an opponent. And God love him, it's poor Mikey Whitbreck that gets dragged out. Um, the crowd again on top for him. Instead of chanting 911 for the big man, they actually chant 212 for New York native Mikey Whitbreck. Um, so Sabu again just on fire for the month. It's a, an over the top guillotine. He actually snaps the turnbuckle pad off the corner for the force of this. And then he lands on the, the barrier a couple of seconds later for a flying tope over the top rope as well. Um, so again, recreating a spot for a couple of months ago where Sabu really hurts the, the ribs over that barrier. Mikey manages to land a, a rolling sent on. On to Sabu, who's in the crowd. At this point, the crazy, crazy bumps, the crowd's just lapping up the, the action and they actually start calling for tables. Um, we got another Air Sabu over the barrier onto the crowd to land in Mikey and they then pulls the barrier forward. We know what's coming, goes under the ring, gets the table, lays out Mikey on it and then Sabu springboard moonsault for the middle rope over the barrier into the crowd onto the table, pretty much killing. Mikey Whitbreak, um, just another phenomenal performance for Sandman. Is it really um, Sandman from Sabu? Uh, it's just really been on fire, fire this month. Got a corkscrew moonsault for the top rope when they get back into the ring. Mikey's nearly passed out at this point. Manages to get a, a camel clutch, but 
Mike, he's pretty much passed out as we say, and it ends there with Sabu getting the win. So Bob, what do you make of this? Um, yeah, very good. Um, I, I, I don't know what the, the story of Marty Giannetti was, um, because, yeah, it didn't seem to play into anything, and it's not particularly mm. like Giannetti was necessarily advertised on the show, at least. He was advertised for the match, um, but that, that didn't seem to lead anywhere. But, but I, and again, is Mikey Whitmer just missed a no-show in that you know, Douglas uh, Funk doesn't turn up and then Mikey ends up with the tag titles yeah. and then uh, Giannetti doesn't show up and he ends up with the match with Sabu. But I, I like what they they did here. And unless there's a showcase of Sabu, more just of a slow development of Mikey Whitbrack in that, you know, he, he, was, he wasn't competitive in this match, but he hung in there. And I think that's, you know, against a star like Sabu, who's a good three or four levels above him, that's really where it should end. Yeah. Um, but I think they, they told him out of a story here to where you're like, okay, this guy's got a bit now. And it, I'm intrigued to see what they do next in Mikey. As for Sabu, it's kind of the usual stuff, really. I don't want to, I, I probably shouldn't underplay him just killing himself on a night by night basis, but that's <laughs> kind of what it was. It, 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 it's like most Sabu matches, really. But I, I thought a very effective match that they might be able to, I don't know, maybe recall down the line if, if in a year or so's time they can make Mikey into something, all of a sudden they might be able to come back to this. That's that. I mean, as you say, going back to the spot where, with Terry Funk no showing in August and Mikey comes out after that he won a tag team belt and got a, the run with a TV title as well he's obviously something that they rely on Bob I mean I, I kind of think of myself as he's just kind of sitting backstage on a bucket somewhere just kind of hoping and crossing his fingers that somebody doesn't show up and he gets that chance but as we've seen back in January that's him been there a year now he's already two thirds of the way into a triple crown champion he's getting put into these matches and as you say, he has a plucky underdog, but he has holding his own. So who knows what the future could hold for him? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be ECW World Champion anytime soon. But I'm just ever yeah. the optimist. I think Bob, I think that's my problem. Well, Douglas might be off soon, so we might have to discuss who they're going to replace him with. Uh, but I, I'd, I'd be very surprised if it was Mikey. I think, yeah. You know, Terry Funk. I pride myself on being a historian, not just a wrestler. But a historian that goes into the classroom every single day. And I tell my kids, you learn all about history so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. August 27th, 1994, the NWA title tournament. Terry Funk, you were scheduled to be on the card that night. And you failed to show up. And I took the belt and all the heritage that goes with the belt. The fact that you were NWA heavyweight champion. The fact that your brother was a world heavyweight champion in the NWA. And a whole bunch of other people that I can't stand. I spit on the belt that night, Terry Funk. And I buried what was left of the NWA. And you didn't have the guts or the heart or the gumption to show up. This man and I ran up and down the roads when we were two greenhorns. When we had no idea. You want to talk wrestling, Holmes? We had no idea what a top wrist lock was from a front face lock. But you know something, Terry Funk? The two of us have risen to be the cream of the crop in this sport. And you can say what you want about this man. He'll stand toe-to-toe and kick anybody's ass. 
and you old piece of I'll take you and kick your ass. What happened, Terry Funk? Have you eaten one too many turnbuckles? You thought to yourself that the franchise might line himself up with me? I hate your guts, Terry Funk. You're a hanger-on. You're everything I despise about this sport. You're an old man. It's time to retire, Terry Funk. You made a mistake thinking that I would go and align myself with you, Terry hey. Funk. We created the legend of ECW. Get hey. older yourself because I, yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about history myself and what I like about it is that everyone's got a little different interpretation of historical events. And I remember August 27th. I remember it like it was yesterday. No show. He didn't make it to the arena. You know what that said to me, Terry? You are a hypocritical piece of and you've got to pay the price. You've got to look at Cactus Jack, and you've got to say to yourself, I made a big mistake. And Terry Funk, I'll still stand here and say that you are my hero. And I'm not going to take your picture down. I'm going to take you down. I'm not going to throw your autograph out. I'm going to throw you out. And you want to bring up my left ear? Yes, Terry Funk, I've lost pieces of my body before. And I'm not sure the process is true. At the end of the trail of blood, sweat, and tears, there lies in all its slithery, purple glory. Your liver, Terry! Just the fact that I see me and I see you, you don't have never. He doesn't have a liver! So something that we've done on the show last year, going back to about this time, just kind of coming into the, the new tax year, coming into the year after WrestleMania and the WWF, and just kind of looking at what we've seen in so far and in 95 and what we're going to be hopefully seeing in the the months of the year that are remaining really want to kind of touch on ECW just kind of almost doing a state of the state of the roster address not to kind of impugn too much on Shane Douglas but we're going to talk about maybe five six guys at the top of this ECW card and just kind of seeing what we both think and what we both think we could maybe be seeing in the next couple of months and just kind of what we think in general with the the kind of roster and the depth of it and the the technical kind of skills that we've got with these guys. I mean, starting with the the champion, starting with Shane Douglas, we've seen obviously that that cut to Manhattan earlier on in the month. It could well be, as you say, that these are very real negotiations that he's having with. Is it WWF? Has he also been in touch with WCW? Do you see him still in ECW at the end of this year? Um, well, we don't know is, is the long and short of it. Well, I know that the WWF have been in contact with Douglas specifically about an announcing role. Uh, now, admittedly, that's been filled by Jim Cornette in the last few weeks or, well, a month ago. Um, so that doesn't look like that's going anywhere. Um, but yeah, there's, there's not a ton to this at the moment. I haven't seen kind of much in, in the newsletters or anything like that. Um, but it's difficult to say. I mean, it's, you know, if I'm either company, he's a guy on my radar, uh, in terms of a guy that's ready, um, in terms of a guy that I could put, I don't think you could put him in the main event, certainly not straight away, but you could put him in a, in a middle of the card spot. And if you, I mean, you, you couldn't really give him the franchise character, but if you were given that kind of spotlight, 
mm-hmm. over the course of maybe six months he can make something out of it. Um, so we'll see, but it, it does feel like with, with, with Douglas as good as the triple threat stuff is and as good as his, his, his promos are that, you know, his last great feud, we're going back to Terry Funk, uh, and that was a yeah. year ago. Um, and, and so you almost wonder whether it might be good for all concerned if Douglas could get away just because ECW, he's not the focus, even though he's the world champion in a weird way. And we've been saying it for a good few months as well. I mean, whether that's the logic, putting him in with this triple threat, which me and you are just incredibly excited about. We've seen Douglas Benoit and Malenko together, but is it a case where they're maybe putting him in with these guys, give them the rub, build up these these two young guys as established guys in preparation for him perhaps moving on? I think we've maybe got to see Douglas at that next stage because, as you say, even as a champion, he's not really got anyone in ECW that he's not had some kind of dealings with in the last 12 months. And as you say, it's kind of bad when you're looking at that world champion as good as he is, as much as we love him, and you're really looking for a solid feud, and you're coming back 12 months to see him with with Funk in that kind of February, March, April time last year when he eventually got that belt. Um, so hopefully we'll see in the next couple of months where, where Douglas goes for there. Um, moving who, on replaces him as, who replaces him as champion, Del? Uh, if he does go um, in the next three months, I mean, that's, well, the, 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 the tricky thing with ECW is that you, you, you've got to kind of account in the fact that a lot of these guys, well, none of them are full time, so not with ECW. Yeah. Um, but you've got guys who I get the sense of more local to the area who see ECW as perhaps their their biggest point of exposure. Guys like Tommy Dreamer, um, and you've got guys like Chris Benoit who were guys who work with ECW but also work in Japan. We can add Sabu to that list and and other guys like that. So it's difficult just to say it should be him because there's an argument you can make for Cactus Jack, but he's going away soon. There's an argument you could make for Terry Funk. He'll be going to Japan soon and one thing I noticed with Douglas a lot was he was a guy who seemed to be available pretty readily um, in terms of being able to come in and uh, and be the champion spot but equally they focused a lot more on what you would call homegrown guys like Taz like the public enemy um, and there's yeah. no when you bring that in because a lot of the guys who you might think would be in line you would probably say it would be Sabu and perhaps Benoit would be, and, and maybe Cactus Jack in terms of the three biggest guys they've got. I'm going to discuss them all in turn in a minute. Um, and yet equally, I don't know whether any of them are right just because of their commitments elsewhere. Well, that's what I was actually going to say, Bob. Leading on to the, the kind of next tier after that World Championship, we've got your Cactus Jacks, your Terry Funks. I think what one of the few detractors has been for Douglas over this reign as good as it's been, as amazing as the promos have been and as decent the matches have been in the back yet, as you say it is really that big that big rivalry, that big feud that's kind of held him back, he's never really had anything over a match or two since the, the dealings with Terry Funk last year, so I mean is it something that we would maybe be looking at the champion as much for who their challenger would be which, to me, would really lead on this Cactus Jack and Terry Funk situation. We've seen the, heard the promo earlier on, we spoke about that at the time, but looking as these two guys overall, I would say that these two are possibly the next, the next tier there. I mean, we've obviously got Funk's history with the NWA and his history with ECW title. Granted, it was still Eastern at that time, 
but in essence dealing with this crowd in this arena with a belt round his waist, I would probably say for me it would be between Cactus Jack and Terry Funk how they sell that at the time, whether it would be that Douglas leaves and he's still the champion or if he retires the belt or if he loses the belt to someone whether they would maybe have another tournament situation similar to August and then have that going for a vacant title or if it was maybe Jack and Funk that were in the final of that or one of them gets the belt off of Douglas I would be more inclined to say with the likes of Sandman and Dreamer I would say is more kind of undercard grudge matches Sabu as you say, with the commitments in Japan, it's definitely somebody that could be a champion. Um, but whether it would be that he would be able to commit to the, the role full-time, and as you say, Jack and Funk have also got other commitments as well. But I would I would probably put it on a rivalry and Cactus Jack and Terry Funk maybe leading throughout maybe three, three months, six months. I don't know about you, Bob. Yeah, I, I think that assessment's about right. I mean, I, I don't... There is no ideal name here. There's nobody that stands out that ticks all the boxes. They're not said there's not there's no talent there, but it's just to say that there's there's kind of caveats with all the guys we'd speak of. Um, I, I think I think you've got to try and beat Douglas out the door if you can. Um, and I don't know, you know, as and if and when he would leave, but I think you've I, I, having him not retire the belt, but having him forfeit the belt, I think would be a mistake, given that you built up a lot of equity in Douglas yeah. over the past year, beating a lot of outsiders like Ron Simmons, like Tully Blanchard, like in, well, he, he did face Marty United once, I think. Um, so guys like that, I think you built up equity in that, and you do need to cash in on that. Um, but I agree, I think either, you know, Funk would make sense, given the rivalry they've got now, um, with, with kind of Funk and Jack and Douglas being tied into that, what we came to last month. Um, I think if if I was going to go elsewhere, I'd probably look for Chris Benoit just because of the triple threat thing and maybe mm-hmm. have Benoit almost break out as a, a, a face. I mean, I know he's kind of, he's been quite heelish recently, but have Benoit say, well, look, you know, you think you're the franchise, I think I can beat you, and then Benoit goes over him. Um, I think that, you know, that, but the, go with the short-term option because there is no good long-term option. I think that would be my approach. Well, talking about Benoit as well, I mean, we've seen it last month where he really kind of broke out of that, that strong silent type that Malenko's really started embracing. We've seen Benoit with the, the pre-tape promos showing that other side of his game. The crowd know what he can do in ring. He's got that heritage of working in Canada. We've seen him in Mexico. He's came into America now and he's really started solidly, especially with the work that he's been doing with Sabu. Um, as you say, it makes sense storyline point of view. He's in the triple threat. Shane Douglas getting too commanding, too big for his boots. We can be just as good as you, franchise. I want a shot. It makes sense. But whether, as you say, it would be long-term or not, I would probably go with the, the likes of Jack and Funk just for having that history and having that that kind of build with the crowd. And then you've maybe got the likes of Benoit and a, a Malenko coming up after after that, maybe with some more established reigns with the tag belts or with the TV title, then build into that. Am I being am I being too far fetched, Bob, when we look at the likes of a Tommy Dreamer, when we look at the likes of a Sandman, are these guys contenders? Uh, I think it'd be a step down. Um Dreamer right now is a serviceable character, but I don't think is is good enough for any facet yet. 
where I think if you put a world title on him, I think that reflects badly on you rather than well on Dreamer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Sandman, as good as he is in some areas, the match quality would nosedive with him on yep. top. And particularly as they've used Douglas as world champion as a guy to kind of bring in outsiders is almost less about TV attractions and more about live event attractions. I don't know if there's going to, not that Douglas was a great worker, but Douglas had a lot of history with his time in, in, in WCW and things like that. Um, uh, you know, I don't get the sense there's a massive form of people queuing to see a Sandman world title match. And equally, I don't get the sense there's a massive queue of wrestlers going, yeah, I want to come in and work with that guy. Uh, yeah, I think either of those would be regressive moves. And dare I say, as good as that entrance is as well, you could possibly be seeing matches where the entrance outlasts the match itself. Yeah, the entrance is great whether he's world champion or not. I, I, I don't think it either would enhance the other. So, no, I think that would be a mistake. So that pretty much wraps up this this month for the for the look back at ECW. Um, we're now out uh, twenty years ago mode. So my name's Dale Muir. You can follow me on Twitter at Dale underscore Muir. At the minute, we're having a bit of a dispute with Twitter over my suspension, Bob. Yes, it, in theory, that. in theory, you can follow Dale on Twitter. Yeah, right? in, in theory. Yeah, I mean, I might that. I might be arrested by the Twitter atty in, in the next couple of weeks, but certainly follow me if you can. Um, and again, I'd like to thank you, Bob. Bob, thanks. Yeah, it's it, it's always a pleasure being a guest on my own show. Uh, I intend to do it again at some point. Um, but and yeah, obviously, th- you're on Twitter as well, Bob. I am on Twitter at Bobby Bam, but I have not been suspended. Don't rub it in, Bob. Come on. Well, You're better than that. Um, and obviously, don't forget to catch up any shows that you've missed. The podcasts on iTunes. Get the RSS feed at wrestling20yrs.com. And obviously, check out the blog. A couple of ECW related titles on there at the minute. We've got a look back at the Public Enemy. And again, just Bob's review looking at that Terry Funk return last month in depth as well as a, a review of last month's double tables. Um, lastly, you can find us on iTunes, leave a rating, review, subscribe, all the usual. Join us after the, after the show. We're going to be next looking, as I say, at that, that three-way dance next month in April, which should be a great show for ECW. Obviously, check out the other parts of this as well, looking back at the, the WCW pay-per-view uncensored and the continuing of the build-up to, to next month's WrestleMania in the WWF. My name's Del Muir. His name's Bob Bamber. This you missed been... Facebook and Twitter, Del. Come on. Oh, we'll sorry, we'll mate. Leave, we'll leave this bit in, but yeah, you've got to plug that bit and then sign off. I'm, it was almost I'm still great. working on it, so yeah, Facebook. Wrestling Twitty YRS. Um, what was the other one you wanted, Bob? Twitter. Twitter as well. So on Twitter as well, Wrestling Twenty YRS. And obviously give us a follow, give us a like on there, build the brand. And as I say, my name's Del Muir, his name's Bob Bamba. This has been following to the March nineteen ninety five edition of the Wrestling Twitter Years Ago podcast. And until next time, goodbye.